What is going on, Ad Sales Nation? Ryan Dorn here coming up on this month's podcast, Charity Huff from January Spring. Going to share a case study, some success stories from Lauren Publications down in Dallas. I'm excited to hear that from Charity. David Walsh from Web Publisher Pro going to be on board here in about 10 minutes. The question you posed to David was, are banner ads still viable? Are people still buying them? Good responses on that. And then we've got Mike Obert from Open Look. We're going to dissect these questions. Renee in Philly asks, how do I explain the sales funnel to clients that won't listen? Taylor from LA asks, what's the magic number in terms of prospects on my list? David from Miami asks, you talked about instant gratification syndrome last month, Ryan. Um, you know, is that really a disease? If so, how do we bring it up with our clients? And of course, I'm going to be back here in just a second talking about relationship selling. Is relationship selling dead? Uh, the answer coming up here in just a second. Let's get rocking and rolling. Here comes the Ad Sales Nation podcast. From the Brainswell Media Studios, welcome to Ad Sales Nation with your host, Ryan Dorn. Each month, Ryan digs deep on the issues and challenges facing media salespeople like you every day. Ryan is a 28-year media veteran, an Emmy winner, a sales coach, and he still sells media every day just like you. Now, your host, your coach, your fellow media sales warrior, Ryan Dorn. All right, friends and fans, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Sure appreciate it each and every month. And thanks so much to uh, all of our sponsors uh, for being a part of the podcast as well. We'll hear from them here in just a couple of minutes. You know, I remember, friends, when we used to reach out to our prospects and we could actually get a meeting with them. I remember when our prospects would actually, and clients, would go to lunch with us. <laughs> I do remember the 8-track tape as well, and I'm only 47, so uh, don't be calling me an old man out there. Question I'm often asked, though, Ryan, isn't sales all about relationships? Well, yes and no. Relationships, are they important? Oh, yeah, of course. Don't pause the podcast or flip it over to uh, your favorite song I mean, friends, relationship selling is, is really important. Relationships are, are awesome. Here's what I'm noticing, though, out there in sales land, is that if we wait for a relationship to form to sell somebody, we're going to be waiting a long time. We're potentially not going to meet our goals, and we're just taking old school sales to a whole new level. I'm not saying relationships aren't important. I'm just saying that you don't have to have a relationship with somebody to sell them something. Sure, it helps dramatically if you've got a relationship with the company, the client, whatever the circumstance is, but we are living and selling in a whole new world. It's become a lot more transactional out there. Oh, Ryan, I don't want to hear that. I hate transactional sales. Well, I mean, I do too. I want to have relationships with clients. I want to be in my clients' weddings. I want to hang out. I want to have fun. I want to go to ball games. I want to end up at places we shouldn't end up at because we're having such a, a great time at a trade show. Maybe not, but it's still fun. Selling is fun. It's just hard. I say it all the time. If sales was easy, everybody would be doing it. And they're not because we're crazy. We're nuts. I mean, when you say to people, they say, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm in sales. And they go, mm, and they wrinkle their nose like we smell bad. It's the number one profession in the world. Did you know there's more salespeople out there than anybody else? So what can we do to maximize, you know, the thoughts on relationship selling and keep things rolling forward? What, what can we do? Because we do live in a transactional world. We just do. So number one, what I'm doing is I'm becoming a helper way, way more than I'm a salesperson. And so I offer help. 
And that's how I want to be seen. Would you be surprised to know that 50% of my sales touches with clients are not sales related at all? 50%. You say, Ryan, that can't be. Well, it can be because I don't confuse customer service with retention. Customer service is expected. If you don't give great customer service, you're stuck. You're done because I'm going to outsell you and I'm going to have better customer service. Retention are all the things you do above and beyond the call of duty that keep people around for a lifetime. So 50% of my touches with my clients are non-sales related. Here's an article I found. I thought you might find it interesting. Here is a white paper I came across. I thought you might find it interesting. Here's a funny video that will just make you laugh. If you, if you need a laugh today, here's a funny, appropriate video to watch. I'm a helper. When I'm reaching out to prospects, I'm doing the appropriate research to make sure that they know I'm not just a salesperson calling on them in a generic way. Hi, Bob. I saw on your website you do this. I've got a great way to help you with that. Hi, Julie. I saw on your Facebook page you guys do this. I've got a great way to help you with that. I want to be the non-salesperson that's out there. You've heard me mention before that I've threatened to write a book called Sell Less to Sell More because I believe that the less you sell, the more you sell. See, people don't mind buying things. They just don't like being sold. It wasn't but what, maybe three years ago that I believe it was SAP that put out a study about buyers. 89 some percent of buyers would rather go to the dentist then talk to a salesperson. So one of the first things I do if I can't form some deep relationship is I just want to be seen as a helper. I'm that person that helps you out. And by the way, I just happen to sell a product that also helps you do that. Whether it's software, whether it's advertising, whatever the circumstance is, what you sell, you've got to be seen as the least salesperson out there. I think it's important. Number two, I'm just going to get over it. I've got to get over it. And I got to get over the fact that I'm like a really nice guy. Why would you not want to go to a ball game with me? I mean, seriously, I'm like a lot of fun. <laughs> At least I've been told. I recently was working with a client in New York City. I knew that that client was a big time Yankees fan. Um, I had four tickets to a Yankees ball game. I reached out to the customer and said, hey, I'd love to take you to the Yankees game. I know you're a big fan. No, you know, Ryan, I'm good. Thank, thanks, man. I, I, I appreciate that. And I could kind of tell by the tone of the voice it it was it was it was not necessarily me, but it was me. Like they didn't want to they wanted to go to the game. Why wouldn't they? They're a huge fan, but they just didn't want to hang out with me. And it crushed me. I mean, I'm talking crushed. I thought, man, I'm such a nice guy. I'm so much fun. Why wouldn't you want to go with me? I reached back out via email. And let's just say his name is John. And I said, Hey John, I'll tell you what, why don't you take these four tickets and go with some friends? All I ask is that next week we can get on the phone for 30 minutes and, and talk about some new ideas. Replied, replied right back, are you serious? And I wrote back, yes. He said, I'll take them. And you have can have that meeting. Crushed me. I invite people to coffee. No, I'm good. Invite people to lunch. No, I'm good. I can take them to some of the best places to eat in some big cities. All right, I'm good. It's not that they don't like us. It's not that they don't want to have dinners. And it's not that they never will. It's just that the selling style today has changed. It's not they don't want to go to a Yankees game. They just don't want to go with me. And, it's, and I just need to get over it. And that's something for me to really understand. Now, I will tell you something on a side note that I do get more breakfast meetings now than ever before. 
If you're in a business where you work trade shows, I'll book breakfast at seven and I'll book breakfast at eight. I'll eat breakfast twice. I don't care. But I'm a sales. I'll sell anything. You can tattoo your logo on my back for the right price, right? <laughs> so I'm getting a lot more breakfast meetings. I find at trade shows, if I bring people coffee, they really like it, especially if they know what they drink and from a coffee perspective. I find that people will meet for cocktails, but they won't meet for dinner. It's a lot less, it's non-committal. It's a lot less committal. And then number three, you got to get in sync with those clients. Relationship selling isn't dead. It's just changed. You got to get in sync with your clients. Friends, there's three types of buyers out there. Some of you have heard me talk about it at various conferences, maybe on the podcast. You've got ego-driven buyers, logical buyers, and emotional buyers. We've talked about it before. Which group do you think is the biggest out there? Ego-driven buyers, emotional buyers, or logical buyers? Well, we talked with over 1,200 circumstances, salespeople that made over 1,200 sales calls. We asked the salesperson, who did you encounter most? Ego, emotion, or logic? What was interesting to find out is, largest group, according to you, salespeople out there, was emotional buyers. Yet what's interesting to me is how many of us sell from a logical perspective. Here's our data. Here's our facts. Here's our stats. Yet the largest group of buyers out there are emotional buyers. Yet we sell from a logical way almost all the time. Remember, friends, you will sell to others the way that you want to be sold. It's human nature. It's in our DNA. You sell to others the way you want to be sold. You treat others the way you want to be treated. You talk to people the way that you want to be talked to. So there's a mismatch that's going on. If you want to grow relationships and accentuate relationships, you've got to recognize it's going to be some work. I've been married 25 years. It's work. I love it. Love being married. Can't ask for anything for a better wife. I couldn't ask for a better wife. They don't. She doesn't exist out there. I don't even look. She doesn't exist. But it's a lot of work. If anybody tells you relationships aren't work, they're they're lying. They just are. You got to get in sync. If you're a logical person, you're probably a logical seller. You might be dealing with an emotional buyer. You're going to have to change the way you sell to match that person. How do you figure out who they are? Look them up on LinkedIn. It's so It screams off the page on LinkedIn. It's so easy to spot them. Look at my profile. The description, my, my bio, it says, I love my job. I'm an emotional buyer. Therefore, I'm an emotional seller. When I deal with logical people, i got to change my sales game. I'm looking at a profile right now. Guys, his name is Scott. And on his profile, it says, I'm all digital all the time. Well, I mean, that tells me if he's all digital all the time, more than likely he's a logical buyer. I'm going on to read his profile. When I'm developing marketing campaigns, it's all about the data. Well, okay, so that tells me he's a logical person. See what groups they're in. It'll give you an idea of whether they're emotional or they're logic. How do you know if somebody's an egomaniac? That's eh, pretty straightforward because it'll say things in their profile that will scream that they're ego-driven. It, it's pretty straightforward to, to spot them. Usually they call themselves a guru, a wizard, or an expert. <laughs> Be careful about that. So friends, is relationship selling dead? The answer is no, it's not dead. It's just changed. So one, if you're going to break through, you need to be a helper, not a salesperson. That's being transparent. Number two, you got to get over it. People just don't, they don't buy the same way that they used to buy. And if they do in your business, good for you. Then keep right on rocking. But then number three, 
you've really got to get in sync with those clients. Don't sell the way that you want to be sold. Sell the way that that person wants to be sold. Use LinkedIn for what it's there for. It's a networking service for business people so you really can get an intimate understanding of who you're dealing with, who you're talking to, and what it really is going to mean to connect and be meaningful and connect with that person. Relationship selling. It's not dead. It's just changed. And if you don't change and you don't grow, you're going to die in the sales world. Take this advice, add some other thoughts to it, grow from here, keep growing. And if you keep growing, you'll continue to be successful in the sales business. All right, if you would be so kind, stick around for 60 seconds. I'm going to pay a few bills after the commercials roll here. We'll get to your questions from Renee in Philly, uh, Taylor in L.A., and uh, David in Miami. We're also going to talk to Charity Huff um, about uh, the success she's had with Lauren Publications in Dallas. I think it's going to be a great conversation for all of you sellers out there. And then, of course, we've got web publisher pros David Walsh to talk about are banner ads still viable. Friends, we'll be right back. Stick around and stay close because I'd be a pretty terrible sales coach if I didn't have a few sponsors here of the podcast. All right, friends, listen close. Take care of those that take care of all of us. We'll be right back. The Ad Sales Nation podcast with Ryan Dorn is brought to you in part by the strategy and design team at Web Publisher Pro. When it's time for your media company to have a top-notch website that is designed for optimal revenue potential, turn to David and the creative team at Web Publisher Pro. Learn more online at webpublisherpro.com. Thank you to the team over at Open Look Business Solutions. Outsource sales tasks, data cleanup, telemarketing, design tasks, or hire a virtual assistant. Reach out to Mike at open-look.com. That's open-look.com. Thank you to the fine folks at January Spring. If you are looking to grow revenue by offering white-label digital services like SEO, social media, or programmatic ads, reach out to Charity over at JanuarySpring.com. Charity loves to strategize about growing revenue. You sell it and January Spring fulfills it. Learn more online at JanuarySpring.com. Okay, now back to the show. Here's your sales coach, Ryan Dorn. All right, friends and fans, welcome back. One of my favorite parts of the program is when I'm joined by my friend, Charity Huff, from January Spring. And Charity, I know that um, here within the last couple of weeks, you were working with one of my favorite publishers in Dallas, Lauren Publications. And maybe we can talk about, you had some great wins with advertisers related to programmatic. Love to hear what you said, how you sold it, what the advertiser said. Love to hear about that sales call. Yeah, we kind of crushed it. It was a really fun trip to go see those ladies. I, let me tell you about two specific calls that we went on. All right. First was um, a huge independent school district who um, now has the ability to offer pre-kindergarten to the entire district. So they need to reach every single family in the Metroplex, if you can imagine, like Mm -hmm. a lot of folks. Wow. And um, they are buying a multimedia program. And we talked with them for quite a bit about the importance of print. And the um, marketing director kept saying, I want to make sure that this is a print heavy campaign. And because of that, we were then able to pull through the appropriate kind of social, their own e-blast, as well as programmatic because we can get super targeted and only reach households that have children of that demographic in it. And once we kind of tied that whole bow together, um, 
the marketing manager looked at us and said, okay, I wanted to start in May. Now I want to start in March and let's make sure we run this thing all the way through to the beginning of the next school year. So not only were we able to um, increase the buy by having this be multimedia, but she ended up extending the contract term as well. It was so much fun. So that's really cool because one of the things that publishers ask me about a lot is they'll say, Ryan, we've lost urgency. Like advertisers don't want to buy from us. They're not urgent. Like they don't have any urgency like they used to have. So this is really a cool scenario, um, friends, because you can use programmatic and the multimedia buy to be able to say, come on, let's get going right now. We don't even have to wait for the publication date. Let's get going right now. That's really cool. That was such a fun sales call. Allison, the salesperson, Mm -hmm. was so professional and walked out of there on such a great high because she knew she had a good print relationship with that particular um, school district, but she had no idea until we really started to dig in all of the opportunities that they weren't even aware of with her own digital offering. And then for us to bring programmatic through and say, yep, we can get going right away. Um, it was a great win for both of us. That's and awesome. Then, yeah, no, it felt good. And then another really great um, salesperson at Lauren Media, Sandy, who's who's a very seasoned, experienced um, salesperson. She does such a nice job of managing the relationship with her clients. Mm-hmm. And she brought me in on um, a very tech savvy client because she wanted to have a partner as we started talking through um, what we could do. And he was already buying the back cover from her. So spending quite a bit of money with her. Mm -hmm. And he specifically wanted to understand how he could use geofencing as an extension of that branding that he's doing with her. And as we started talking through how specific and how targeted we could be trying to reach those affluent homes and high school students and the folks that are really important to him as a decision maker to his business, he ended up talking us up from a 200,000 a month impression campaign to a 400,000 a month impression campaign. That's awesome. Right? Because he kept saying, no, I need to make sure that I have such saturation of my brand in this market. And he said, and that's the way I know I need to do it. He knew the stats as well as I did. He knows that you need to touch somebody up to 12 to 15 times now to make a really good impression because of how saturated marketing is these days. So he totally through the course of the conversation started to build on what he wanted. And again, that campaign is going to run all the way through this year. And um, that's one of probably Sandy's biggest wins since I've had an opportunity to work with her. And she did such a beautiful job of manning that, managing that relationship, establishing herself as the expert and then letting him think of the possibilities. Oh, that's great. And you know, friends, it's important for us always to remember We need to be telling our advertisers, it doesn't matter if it's radio, TV, whatever, you need to be advertising in multiple ways on multiple days. And I always also tell them it's not about the media that you like, because a lot of advertisers buy the media that they like. Well, what if that is not in alignment with the customers that they want or the customers that they need? 
So it's incumbent upon us as ad salespeople out there on the street, whether you're national, local, or whatever, friends, if you only give them what they want and don't give them what they need, that's when people cancel. We're supposed to be experts in guiding them to what they need to be successful. And multiple medias, buying multimedia, man, that is, that's really where it's at. Here's what I love, Charity. Um, you were out on the street with these people, so that's really awesome. So I'm, um, at your company, you'll send, you know, folks uh, in market and uh, and train with the salespeople too. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's our favorite part of our job is writing and coaching with reps um, because that's where, you know, like the rubber meets the road and having conversations with these business owners and truly understanding what they're trying to do and then helping them to achieve it. Oh my God, it feels so good. JanuarySpring.com. Be sure to check them out. And my clients are using them and making some good money. So Charity, thanks so much as always for being a part of the program. Thank you, Ryan. All right, friends and fans, it's uh, that time of show where we're joined by David Walsh from Web Publisher Pro. And every month we uh, dissect the questions that you guys send in to us all about your website and your, your online presence. And then specifically, hey, you know, how do we uh, how do we sell these things? So, uh, David, I had a really great question, a series of questions from Miranda in, uh, in Tennessee, uh, really all around banner advertising. And I'd love to get your feedback. One of the things she asked, are banner ads actually still viable? And are you still including them in your in your website designs? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, banner ads are definitely viable. Uh, we have a lot of publishers that are still generating a lot of revenue uh, from banner ads, even generating revenue from featured listings. Um, their revenue is still generally at least 50% uh, coming from banner ads and uh, on-site advertising. Uh, so we definitely build and design websites around uh, banner ad placements because um, that's one of the most important things to generating revenue from banner ad placements mm -hmm. is making sure that they're visible and displaying great on desktop and mobile. Yeah, it makes sense. I noticed a lot of designs, not your designs, but a lot of designs, it's like banner ads are a second thought. So that makes the advertiser feel like they're sort of a, a second class citizen. You know, besides designing around interactive advertising bureau sizing, are you noticing in your new designs, are certain sizes doing better or look better in a design? Yes, definitely. We're noticing that uh, while publishers still um, are using the IAB standard sizes, uh, there's a lot of media companies that are starting to look at non-standard sizes as well. Um, this differentiates your site from uh, just an advertiser buying into a network at their standard sizes like the 728 by 90s or right. 300 by 250s uh, when you can offer them an ad size that is bigger better and different um, it's eye-catching uh, that's really attractive to the advertiser uh, you want to use these sparingly um, because if you're dealing with agencies and larger advertisers um, you're going to find that they still want their IAB sizes, so you have to be able to accommodate both. Um, but especially for uh, s uh, smaller independent businesses, direct sales, um, it's a great differentiator uh, to offer on your site. Um, we find that a lot of these non-standard sizes that are generally uh, bigger, uh, brighter, flashier, they more so mimic what you would find in like a half a full page glossy okay. print advertisement as well. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I know we've been preaching for years. You got to have IAB sizes. But my thought is this. 
if we can make money doing non-standard sizing and the advertiser's okay with it, you know, let's do it. We need to build what it is that an advertiser actually, you know, wants to buy. Miranda was also asking, she sent a bunch of good questions, by the way. Miranda, will send you a t-shirt, girl. Thanks for your questions. Um, about banner ad blocking. Um, I noticed that uh, I saw a 2018 article when I was doing a, uh, a presentation on this. In 2018, they were saying like 10, 15% of people were blocking ads. But then in preparation for our call, I saw a social media today, uh, April 2 of 2019, they're looking at 30% of all internet users use some type of ad blocking. But still, I mean, that's that's not a massive percentage. I wish it was none. But I mean, how do you, how do you feel about banner ad blockers? Yeah, I think that uh, banner ad blockers are gaining in popularity, um, but you still have seventy uh, percent, uh, mm-hmm. according to that article, that are not using them. Um, so it's definitely really important to still differentiate your revenue streams with sponsor content um, and building up your newsletter list so that you could sell advertising through the newsletter um, and into the e- email platform. Right. So it's around your website, um, and it's an interesting thing that we'll keep an eye on as uh, as we see those numbers either uh, increase or decrease with some of the changes coming up uh, with browsers and cookies and uh, mm-hmm. things of that sort. Yeah, I was looking, um, my uh, son, as you know, is in the Navy. I was looking at the Navy Times website and they had a, a this thing called, it's a plugin called Banner Ad Scout um, for WordPress that popped up and said, we are a advertising supported um, website. And we notice that you're blocking advertising. If you could please disable that, you can, you know, you can help us or whatever. I don't remember what the message was. So I know there's WordPress plugins out there for it. I kind of liked that approach, David, where they're like kind of giving you, kind of calling you out like, hey, you're blocking our ads. That's how we support the military. I thought it was, I thought it was kind of a a clever way to do it. I assume there's plugins in WordPress for almost anything. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's tens of thousands of them. I really like that idea as well. Uh, I'd even probably throw in an additional pitch. Like if uh, if you want to keep your ads blocked, consider making a $10 donation to right. us. <laughs> yeah. Now, what was um, we were talking in advance um, about Google that uh, in one of their latest updates or coming updates, they're going to begin to block third party cookies automatically. What's that all about and how is that going to impact our our media sales life. Yeah, that's going to be a great thing uh, to watch over uh, the next, I think it's two years that they're planning to roll that out, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I believe that it's really going to open the door for media companies to generate more revenue from direct ad sales. Um, if advertisers are unable to get their ads uh, truly serving on your site through programmatic um, or different exchanges, uh, it's going to open the door for uh, them contacting you directly and dry, buying from you directly. Um, it's also great to continue building your uh, newsletter lists, um, mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, so you can start selling direct ads uh, through your newsletter and your email platform. Um, if you're not doing that already, that's a great way that media companies that we're working with are generating a lot of revenue. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, friends, keep your questions coming. Uh, this is David Walsh from a Web Publisher Pro. And uh, you can learn uh, more about his company and uh, what he does. And uh, he's uh, built out the websites for our company and for uh, many of my clients as well um, over at webpublisherpro.com. So keep those questions coming in. So, David, thanks for the advice and the thoughts. And uh, we'll uh, talk to you next month about uh, these uh, type of uh, these type of things. 
All right, Brian, thanks a lot. All right, friends and fans, as you know, one of my favorite times of the show is your listener questions. So keep them coming in. Uh, Ryan at RyanDorn.com. Try to keep it real simple. Ryan at RyanDorn.com. That last name is D-O-H-R-N. And every month, I like to bounce these questions off my friend, uh, Mike Obert from Open Look Business uh, Solutions. Hey, Mike, I've got some uh, some good questions um, this uh, this month, and love to share them with you and get some uh, get some feedback from you if you're uh, if you're up for it. All right, let's go. Let's do it. All I right, love cool. It. So I've got a question from Renee in Philly, uh, Taylor in Los Angeles, David uh, in uh, in Miami. By the way, some of you from small town America, these are big towns. How about some questions from people in small town USA? Send us your questions. Okay, here we go. Uh, Renee from Philly, she asks. How do I explain the sales funnel to a client that just will not listen? So we talked about it in the podcast a little bit last month. Um, You know, Mike, we've talked about it before. The sales funnel essentially has three stages to it. The top of the funnel is going to be the awareness stage. The middle of the funnel will be the interest stage. And then the bottom of the funnel will be decisions which lead to buying. So, Renee, I would say the first thing is, Visual, visual, visual. You've got to show them a visual. It doesn't matter. Everyone has a sales funnel. Mike, you've got one. I've got one. Everybody's got a sales funnel. So if you're in the media business, I would think, Renee, you would show the funnel and you would say in the awareness stage, this is where print, traditional media, TV, radio plays. The interest stage is a little more conducive to digital. Buying stage is a little more web, online, events, you know, kind of thing. So I think it's in the visual piece. But the other thing is, no matter what you sell, um, whether you're selling cars, washing machines, doesn't matter. Um, everybody has a sales funnel. So finding out where you fit in their funnel, that's important. Finding out where their customers fit in the funnel. And then also figuring out, Renee, asking great questions of, hey, when you think about your sales funnel, okay, where can we be most impactful? Where can our software be most impactful? Um, where can open look business solutions be most impactful? I mean, you see it all the time, Mike. Everybody's got a sales funnel. I know um, you guys do um, as well. What else? Yeah. What are your thoughts on how to explain the sales funnel to a to a customer? Yeah, no, I agree with you on the graphic part of it of of having a good strong graphic. Um, but there's also going to be some different timelines that go with that graphic, if that makes sense. So. The more expensive, the bigger your product or uh, uh, or your advertising is going to be, right. um, the, the longer that sales cycle is going to be. So right. totally agree with the awareness, the interest, the decision. You know, people don't wake up every morning thinking like, hey, I've got I'm going to go buy a car today. Right. But when it's their time to go buy a car, if you're not type top of mind. Yeah then they're just going to skip right over you. Exactly. I was amazed to know. So I'm in my mind, I'm thinking that, so let's talk about the automotive sales funnel for Ryan or for Mike. I, maybe I'm strange. I swap out cars every six, seven years. Some people are sooner than that. So my top of the funnel awareness is six, you know, seven years. The average, I guess, across the country is uh, 12 years. People keep their cars for 12 years. I don't. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in that. I'm about 10 years. 10 years. Okay. Yeah. So that's cool. So then I'm in that. I'm in the awareness stage for six, seven years. Then I move into the interest stage where I'm doing a lot more research on that car. Right. And I'm in that stage for a few months. And then I make a decision of what I'm going to buy moderately quickly. So I think the sales funnel is important, Renee, to, you know, to explain to everybody. Yeah, exactly. And it's completely different though when you're talking about maybe a 
a restaurant or a food place where people are going to eat every day, right? So that exactly. that 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 funnel is going to be a lot tighter and a lot quicker. And you can skip stages in the funnel if the circumstance demands it. Like for example, right now I'm not in need of a plumber, so I'm kind of in awareness stage. But should you know my septic tank back up or a pipe break, I skip really fast to making a decision. Right. <laughs> for the most part, people find their way through the through the funnel. How long right. does it take for for Open Look your customers? Like if someone's looking for a virtual assistant and you guys provide that service, I know. How right. long does it take, Mike, for them to get through your your sales funnel? Boy, it's going to take probably two to three months wow. if you get somebody that's pretty you know pretty hot. If you, but mm-hmm. also lay, laying that seed out there, if you will, of talking to people, being in front of people. Um, you know, I'll get calls from people that I'd met twelve to eighteen months prior, finally going. You know what? I'm going to try that idea. You know what? That finally resonates with me. This is something that I want to try and do. Right. So it, you know, it, it can take a while. So it's getting that awareness, like you said, out there, being in front of people, letting them know what your services are and what your products are, um, that they eventually will come around and buy from you. Right. And it's not instantaneous, friends. That's the big takeaway everyone needs to follow us on is it's not instantaneous. And that leads us right to David's question from Miami. Because, Mike, we talked last week, or last month, rather, about IGS, the Instant Gratification Syndrome, on the podcast last month. Well, David wants to know, okay, is that really a disease? And if so, I mean, how do you bring it up um, on, a, on a client call? No matter what you're selling, how do you, how do you bring it up? So, Mike, for me, and in your business and in mine, I, everybody wants results, like right now. Give me results right now. I think right. for me, it's all about understanding that it takes time. Sales takes time. So what a lot of reps do, you wait to the last minute to get to goal. So that's a problem. You got to plan for it. But I think the biggest thing when working with, when selling to somebody is managing their expectations. They want yeah. it right now. If you can't deliver it right now, don't say you can. And then help them understand that patience produces some really good, you know, some, some really, really good results. Do you right. see that? Do you see this whole instant gratification thing in your business as well, Mike? Oh, absolutely. One thing I think we were talking offline a little bit about was I kind of call it the fried pickle syndrome, where uh, you might have a, a, a somebody like a restaurant that that's advertising and their coupon or, or whatever that they're trying to bring you in to the restaurant is a fried pickle. I'm like, who wants fried pickles? You know, I like I like fried <laughs> I like pickles, them. but I like them too, <laughs> but. But not everybody likes fried pickle and you go back to that person and you're like, hey, you know, how did the ad go? Or they're telling you that the the advertising didn't work or the product didn't sell. Right. You're like, well, yeah, it's a bad product. <laughs> it's a bad – nobody right. is rushing in here to get a fried pickle. So yes. like you said, of managing those expectations of like, okay, do we have something else that we might be able to use besides – Besides this fried pickle to get people into your uh, uh, to get your into your restaurant or to go buy your product. Right, exactly. And you know, no matter what it is that you sell, friends, I think it's important. Also, even in the software business, it's important for you to understand good, fast, cheap. And I say to people all the time, good, fast, or cheap, pick two, because if it's good and fast, it's not going to be cheap. You know, so pick pick two of them: good, fast, cheap. If it's fast and cheap, it's not going to be good. Pick two. And when you really think through that, I think it's helpful to people to understand everybody wants it right now. There's a um, there's a comedian, and I just am drawing a blank on his name, jo- uh, Johnny Chin. I think it's Ronnie uh-huh. Chin, Ronnie Chin on Netflix. 
And he's like, Amazon now. Amazon now is not fast enough. I wanted Amazon right now. Um, I want it right this second. I want Amazon to predict before I buy it. It's going to be in my hand, you know? Right. And it's like, guys, no matter what you sell, you're probably not going to get the delivery immediately if you want it to be good, if you want the end result to be good. So, right. um, so David, how do you bring it up? I think you ask questions like um, in the advertising business, you would say, if we could create the perfect marketing campaign for you, what would that look like? Managing expectations. Right. Um, in the software business, um, it could be, you know, if this solution um, could tackle and could help you with these three things, would that be enough? And how quickly do you need this enterprise solution, you know, up and running or something, you know, kind right. of um, uh, along those lines? So, um, last question, last but definitely not least, Taylor from LA asks, what is the magic number in terms of prospects I need on my list? Um, Taylor, I don't think that there's uh, per se a magic number. I would say that there is a number based on whatever your goal is for the next selling cycle. So what I'll do for you, Taylor, is I'm going to walk Mike through, you know, my sales math and then that should answer your question. So, okay. So Mike, as an example, and this is just an example, um, give me, um, in the next sales cycle, okay, so what would be, I'm going to get my calculator here. What would be your goal? What's your monetary goal in the next sales cycle? I'm going to say the next sales cycle, my goal would be 20,000. Okay. So 20,000 bucks. So what is the, what is the amount of your average deal? If you were to look over the last few months in a monthly perspective, if you got to get to 20,000, what's kind of an average deal for 2,500. So I'm going to take 20,000. And I'm dividing that by 2,500. So that tells me that you're going to need to do eight deals. Okay, so Taylor, goal then is eight. He needs eight to get eight deals done. Now, we know if we're doing rough math, like super rough math, if you need eight deals and you're closing at 50%, which I'm sure you're you're not. If you are, write a book, Mike. (laughs) Um, You need 16 meetings. Correct. If you're closing at 50% to get eight deals. Well, I mean, that's, you need 16 meetings, which if you're booking meetings with clients at a rate of around 50%, you're going to need 32 prospects to get to the 18 meetings that you need to get to the six deals or seven deals that you need. So you can just basically tailor work yourself backwards so again, for those of you that couldn't keep yeah. up, Mike said his goal was twenty five thousand. Divided that by his average deal of twenty five hundred. Okay, is that what you said? Twenty five thousand. It was twenty thousand. Okay, twenty thousand divided by yeah. twenty five. So twenty thousand yep. divided by twenty five hundred. I thought the math looked wrong. <laughs> then you've got so that's eight deals you need to get done, which means probably if you're closing at a rate of fifty percent, which is really high. Then that's 16 meetings, and that means you're going to need about 32 people on your prospect list. So, Taylor, yep. I mean, I don't know if there's a magic number per se, but you can back yourself into it. It doesn't matter what you're selling, guys. I mean, you're going to have an average deal, and you can back yourself into it. And then it leads – everybody's like, oh, relationship selling. That's that's where it's at. Of course. Love to have relationships with people, but math doesn't lie. <laughs> so, you, right. so I'm saying 50% close rate, which is unheard of. So the number – Mike is probably more like 40 on your list. That's right. You know, that yep. you need to get. So if you meet with, you know, prospect 40, 
maybe you'll get 10 to 12 meetings out of right. 40. And then maybe out of that 10 to 12, you close six or seven, which will get you moderately close to the. Right. I just did the same exercise with a publisher uh, just this week. Um, who was looking to back into that number of like, how many deals do I need to close to get, to hit the number that I want to make, uh, so that I, you know, I'm making good money. Um, and we did the same thing of backing into it this way. Yeah. Um, and, and somebody told me, I like the phrase of suspect instead of using the word meeting, it's more, I, I've used the word, uh, suspect to a prospect to a deal. Um, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. 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 I like it. Suspect to a prospect to a deal. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, um, so friends, keep your questions coming in. Um, Mike and I love to answer them. Give us um, your thoughts, your feedback and all those. And appreciate that whether you're on Spotify or, or iTunes. Put your comments you know, down below. And we'll keep those questions coming in. Ryan at RyanDorn.com. And uh, if you want to reach out to Mike and find out about uh, all their outsourcing services, the website is super easy. It's just open-look.com. Open-look.com. So, Mike, thanks for uh, chiming in on the questions, man. Sure appreciate it. Yep, Ryan, favorite time of the month. That's it, friends. That's the program for this month. Thanks so much for sticking around and and letting us uh, have an opportunity to uh, play a part in your sales life. I hope it's helpful each and every month. Hey, don't forget, send your listener questions into Ryan at RyanDorn.com. Ryan at RyanDorn.com. And that's D-O-H-R-N for the correct spelling there. A little bit of German, a little bit of Danish there. D-O-H. R-N. Hey, love to come to your office and train your team. If that's something you're looking for information on, uh, reach out to me at the same email address or visit us over at 360adsales.com, 360adsales.com. All right, friends, we'll see you next week. And uh, coming up next, the next show is all going to be about new business development. So stick around for that. That'll be next here on Spotify, iTunes, or however you listen to your podcast here. All right, friends, we'll see you next month. Get out there and sell something. Don't forget, if ad sales was easy, everybody be doing it. And they're not. So we're either crazy, <laughs> which is possible, or we found a career that will feed our families for a lifetime. See you next month.